front. First kiss from battling away Starflight with Chalmers, but first kiss. Do you remember yours? Mine was Sarah Kettridge. <laughs> this is Legends with Bevo. Thanks to Bet Odyssey, Renelec Electrical Services, and Anytime Fitness Glenelg. And now, here's your host, Bevo. Yes, welcome to another edition of Legends with Bevo. Today we're down here at the beautiful Junction Hotel in Morpherville and what a pleasure it is to be joined by an absolute legend when it comes to race calling. He's called a number of Bay Sheffields, a number of races as well and he's involved with Racing.com doing a wonderful job as a presenter there. The great Terry McCullough, great to have Legends with Bevo, mate. Thanks, Bevo. Thanks for having me along. Uh, absolute pleasure. Now, obviously, a couple of days' time, it's the big race. It's the race that stops the nation the Melbourne Cup. Who do you think the ones are to watch? And obviously, it's incentivised as a favourite. You know, think, you know, is that the one to watch? Or some others there as well that we could see that, obviously, Melbourne Cup, you just never know, do you? So. No, you don't. Like you said, it's the race that stops the nation, though. Um, this is an incredible week. Uh, the whole week, Derby Day on Saturday, Melbourne Cup Day Tuesday, Oaks Day Thursday, and then Stakes Day next Saturday. So... But yeah, it's probably all about Tuesday for those that aren't really into the races. And I think incentivise is certainly the horse to beat the favourite. Um, Peter Moody's done a super job in the short time he's had the horse, but it's an incredible story. Had three runs up in um, Queensland and, and basically did nothing. And then all of a sudden he started on this winning run nine starts ago for his former trainer and now part owner, Stephen Traday. Um, he won six races in a row for Stephen and then he sold a, a large portion of the horse and the new ownership group wanted to send the horse to Melbourne, to Peter Moody, and he's ticked every box for Moody. He won the Maccabi Diva, the Turnbull, the Caulfield Cup, so he goes in likely as the raging hot favourite and certainly the horse to beat. And in terms of some of the other ones as well, because as I mentioned, you just never know with the Melbourne Cup. Last year, Twilight Payment was a, was a rank outsider, and of course, uh, good old Michelle Payne on Prince of Penzance from a few years ago, 100 to 1. So you never know Melbourne Cup, so yeah, it's such an open race. Yeah, absolutely. And Twilight Payment, he's there again trying to um, go back to back in the Melbourne Cup, so you have to respect him. Um, look, Kira Mar and David Eustace, they're very hard to beat in staying races anywhere where they turn up with their horses. Of course, they won the Derby on. Saturday with Hotatsu and they've got a number of runners in the cup and they've got a couple down near the bottom which I think can run well, Grand Promenade and Floating Artist, so I think they're two others to maybe have a look at. Great House was really impressive winning at Flemington on Saturday and, and earning the right to run in the cup on Tuesday, so from the Chris Waller yard I think he's there with a good chance as well, so like you say, there's, the more you look into it, the more horses you can come up with, but I think ultimately incentivises the horse to be. Yeah, can't wait. I know it's obviously only a couple of minutes, um, but it's always everyone just loves to build up to the Melbourne Cup, so bring that on for sure. Absolutely. Now let's go back to your journey, Tess. It's obviously you know been a legendary caller uh, of the Bay Sheffield and, and horse racing for a number of years, and as I mentioned, doing really good things now with Racing.com. But where did the passion sort of begin as a caller? You know, tell us about that and, and what made you decide you want to be a caller. Yeah, look, um, it was a bit of a sliding door moment that I got into race calling, but I did grow up at Morpherville and I had horses over the back fence, and I had a real love for the animal. That's how it all really started for me, and um, the absolute um, love of the horse. And, and Dad was a putter, so he. He always had the, the races on and you know I was always listening to the races with dad and I would wander down at the stables around the corner from home as well and spend some time down there and um, I, I guess I just sort of tuned my my own style and, and my ear just listening to the you know the great race callers over the journey when I was a youngster growing up but as I said it was a a sliding door moment really. I was working in the bank when I left school and my best mate in the bank, Peter Reardon, his dad was a bookie so we used to hang out a bit together and, and go to the races together and as a bit of fun in 
downtime um, in the bank. We were in head office for the Commonwealth Bank. Um, I'd be doing these phantom race calls while we were waiting for customers to come in. And Peter thought, you know, there was something there with what I was doing. And he told his dad about me. And, and his dad, Paul, um, set it up for me to start calling trials at Weagle 8. We're not far from, from Morpherville, just at Plimpton. And that's where it began on a Sunday morning. And from there, I went to calling the trials at Globe Derby Park on a Wednesday night and Greyhound trials at Gawler on a Friday night. So, um, yeah, I sort of made the sacrifice to go out of my way and, and do that um, while I was working in the bank. And, and then after about probably a couple of years of calling trials, 5AA were doing the races here in South Australia at the time and they were looking for a, another race caller to put on. They were looking to put on a cadet race caller. Um, they heard about this kid calling trials around the place in, in Adelaide and they got me in for a chat and the job was mine if I wanted to take it. So um, mum and dad weren't too sure about me resigning from the bank but <laughs> that's what I did and I followed my dream and here we are, you know, more than 35 years later with, um, you know, a lot of great memories behind me. And in terms of the Bay Sheffield? Where did that sort of have that come about? Yeah, look, when I started race calling, I had a couple of blokes that were unbelievable and, and still are great mates and, and I can call them friends. And Bruce McAvaney, the absolute doyen of um, sports broadcasting probably in the world, not just our country. Uh, Bruce was fantastic for me early and still is today. I, I chat with Bruce on a regular basis when I've got something I want to discuss. And, and Mark Aston was the other. And, and Mark's dad... Um, he uh, had a group of runners that um, he prepared for the, the running season here in Adelaide, which basically runs from October till about April. The, the main event is the Bay Sheffield down at Collie Reserve. But um, the man calling the, the, the athletics at the time, Terry Cotton, he was looking to, to get out of it and they needed someone to you know, fill his shoes. And um, Mark's dad, Keith, suggested that maybe you know Terry might be interested in coming along and, and having a crack. And so out I went. And, that was in the early 1990s, and you know I've got nearly 30 years now calling the athletics here in SA behind me as well. What's been, I guess, uh, started with the with the horse racing? What's been some of your memorable moments as a caller test? Um, oh, look, there's a lot of great memories. I, I guess you'd have to put right at the top um, Black Caviar when she came here to Adelaide um, twice in 2012. We just spoke about incentivised trained by Peter Moody and. Peter Moody was amazing with this mare. Um, you know, he knew that um, she was more than just a champion racehorse that he was training. He knew that, um, you know, she was like um, just so great for, for the racing game. He put racing on the front page with this great mare. Um, they appeared on news services, not just in the, in the sports stories. She was appearing, you know, basically at the top of news stories. Everyone wanted a piece of black caviar. And, you know, Moods travelled all around the country. Um, she raced a lot in Queensland, Peter Moody's old home state. She raced in New South Wales, obviously in Victoria where she was trained. But Moods brought her here to Adelaide for two races. The, the, uh, the Robert Sangster, now known as the Tab Classic, which she won. That was her 20th career win. And then she came back a fortnight later and won the Goodwood um, win number 21. And as we know, she went on to win another four races, including that famous race at Royal Ascot in England and finished her career with uh, an unblemished record, 25 out of 25. So that has to sit right at the top, getting the chance to call that great man. And in terms of the Bay Sheffield, uh, obviously you've, you've called some absolute legends that have gone to do bigger and better things. Um, so it'd be hard to hard to choose, but what's a couple of your, your favourite Bay Sheffield calls and why? Yeah, look, probably um, would maybe be the Women's Bay Sheffield final. Um, look, uh, Nova Perez actually won in the, in the mid-90s and uh, she was only a young lady at the time and she then went on and 
of course, represented Australia both at Olympics and Commonwealth Games. And I think about Nova because I was actually fortunate to call at the Commonwealth Games in 1998 in KL for Channel 9. And so after calling Nova win the Bay Sheffield, um, a few years later, there I was calling her win the 200 at the Commonwealth Games in Kuala Lumpur. So that was a pretty special memory. And Lauren Hewitt was another one who I called a lot um, over the journey with um, times that I was fortunate to call. And, um, you know, away from um, the, the Bay Sheffield and, and those sort of events here in SA. And as I said, I mentioned the, the KL Games, the Commonwealth Games there, and, and I likewise did Melbourne in 2006. And Lauren Hewitt, I called Lauren a lot, and she won at the Women's Bay Sheffield as well. So they're probably the two special ones that stand out. In terms of calling now, um, Tess, I've called you know, swimming, NBL um, one, and also some sample. And you know, it's very tough doing play-by-play calling. But I've just got so much respect for for not only you know, callers that do the Bay Sheffield, but also horse racing as well. It's got to be one of the hardest things. That, what sort of tips do you have for people that might be interested in you know becoming race callers, and, and how do you do it? Because you've got to remember all the all the horses, all, all the runners' num- names and numbers and everything. And so you know, how do you actually do it? Obviously, you mentioned a couple of mentors in in Mark Hayson and Bruce, but. Yeah, it must be one of the hardest things to learn. Yeah, well, Bruce, as we know, is, is big on preparation, and that was probably one of the things that he instilled with me um, right from day dot. Um, you know, and if you do your preparation and you're ready to go, um, you know, you then trust your own ability, and it should be okay. Um, when you're calling, really, when I first started calling, I was calling to a, a radio uh, audience. I wasn't calling to a TV audience. Um, so a radio audience is probably a little bit easier, but also it, it also teaches you, you're trying to call and paint the picture the best way you possibly can for the person that actually can't see it. So with that, you need to be accurate. Um, and so when I say accurate, apart from getting names right, you need to get margins right as well. That's important. If you're not there able to see it, if a horse is two lengths in front, you need to make sure you say it's two lengths in front. It's not four lengths in front, which makes you think if you're on the leader and it's four lengths in front, I'm going to win. But it's a bit different if you're only two lengths in front because uh, that margin can be eaten into pretty quickly. So um, that's the way that I first really got going with calling. You know, I was painting the picture the best way I possibly can. And when you're calling, you're just trying to tell the story. So it's almost like reading a story to one of your children, you know, the beginning, the start, and you get to the end of the race and, you know, the end. And and, um, accuracy is important, um, whether it be getting those names right, getting those margins right, and you've also got to be clear. And when I first started out, one of the the great things I did, I actually went and spent six months with um, the late Vaughan Harvey with his radio school, and he was fantastic for me and taught me about using my voice and and talking so people can really understand exactly what you're trying to say. Yeah, no, that's, that's very good tips as well. So, and, and like you mentioned, it's, um, you know, you've got to be able to speak like fast because the race is so quick, but then also, yeah, clear. And so yeah. The, the it's not so much fast, and that's what always people think, you know, yeah. that we talk fast, but really it's because you don't stop. You, you're telling the story from start to finish and you, and you don't get a break in between. Like if you're watching the football, well, you're watching the cricket, you can sort of have a break in between balls or in between plays, but with the race call, you just got to keep going the whole time. Um, so, yeah, look, um, it, it is a tough gig. It is a tough gig, but um, when you're calling play-by-play and you've got someone else you're working with, yeah. that makes it a lot easier. But when you're a broadcaster of racing, 
you're the uh, the only one there. You're you're doing it one out. It's a lonely place, um, and it's a lonely place if you get into trouble as well, because there's no one you can sort of tap on the shoulder or tap on the leg to take over. So, anyway, um, there's just some some of the challenges that go with the game. Well, speaking of challenges, um, we love hearing the big stuff ups, and over the years we've seen some absolute beauties. And I remember a couple of years ago, it was a classic. I think it was Jimmy Jakes. Poor guy's voice just, yeah, yeah it's legendary. And um, has there been any times where you've had a couple of embarrassing moments as a caller, Tess? Yeah, look, um, again, I've said about preparation that, you know, Bruce instilled in me right from, right from day dot. And um, preparation also includes making sure you're in the box well and truly on time to you know, to learn the horses on the way to the gates, but there have been occasions where, you know, I've been stuck downstairs or, you know, just um, getting caught downstairs and, and then rushing up to the box. And if you get there and your breath isn't quite right and then they jump very quickly, you can run out of breath as well. Jimmy was a bit different. Jimmy actually had a um, very bad bout of laryngitis and he probably shouldn't have been calling that day as we know at Globe Derby. But, um, yeah, look, so... There are times where if your breath's not right, that can make it very challenging. Um, so again, it's about preparation. Make sure you're there, ready to go. And look, no one likes making mistakes. I think that's the real bugbear for me when I was race calling. If you get a photo wrong, um, but you know, we're only human, we're not machines, we're not computers, so you're gonna make mistakes over the journey. But yeah, uh, if you get one wrong early in the day, it sort of sits with you for the whole program. And then if there's another close finish coming up later in the day, you sort of, do I have a go? Do you want to get two wrong on one day? So, yeah. So that's what's happened in terms of embarrassing moments. You sort of called the wrong horse or, or the wrong person. Yeah, not so much yeah. the wrong horse, but like, you know, Bevo and Mac are hitting the line locked together. And I think Bevo's just one, but if the photo goes the other way and Mac <laughs> gets it, like, you know, people are, you know, they're, they're trusting you, they're listening, and then they actually blame you that, you know, you said it won, but it didn't. But actually... That was just my opinion, really. What my opinion is doesn't count for anything. It's what the judges says that matters, but people still don't really take it on board. <laughs> Especially when they've got money on it as well, so it's a yeah. tough gig. Yeah, no, you do a wonderful job, that's for sure. So, um, speaking of wonderful jobs, uh, earlier on this year it was so well-deserved. You won the Matrice Award, and you're a very modest man, Tess. Uh, you know, this award's been won by Maccabi Diva, Leon McDonald, the list goes on. Um, what did it sort of feel like when you found out your name you know, was, was basically given to that award? And... Yeah, did it sort of... Yeah, huge honour. Yeah. yeah, huge honour. And I was totally overwhelmed by it. Look, I wasn't expecting it. I was there on the night, actually, um, with my in-laws, uh, my father-in-law, Leon McDonald, and brother-in-law, Andrew Lewis. Um, they had Dallas and who was in contention for the um, the Horse of the Year title. So that's why I thought I was going along, just to give some family support. But as it turned out, they knew this was coming my way. And... Yeah, look, it was a tremendous honour, as you said, the, the names that um, have been, um, you know, fortunate to appear on that uh, honour board for the Matrice Award, you know, they're staggering, you know, all of the greats, um, um, Colin Hayes, and you mentioned Maccabi Diva, there, there, there's some incredible names on there, so, yeah, look, uh, overwhelming, wasn't expecting it, but, um, yeah, very proud. And earlier on this year, it's an... Speaking of uh, how good you are, Tez, this is just unbelievable reading this story, uh, Tim Edwards, he was calling for... Um, 
I think it was uh, Sky Racing, and the last four calls up at Narrow Court, he, he basically was just buggered. So I think he was unwell, and, and you stepped in and called four, called four races in a row, plus all your preparation for Sky Ra- uh, for Racing.com as well. How the heck did you do it? Yeah, look, I was probably a little bit lucky. There were only small fields on the day, and look, um, I, I know the horses well enough to trust you know, my, my ability to, to get by calling them. So, um, yeah, I said to Tim, and he was there actually with his dad, and I... Um, I said, look, just just go. I'll, I'll be able to handle it. So um, yeah, I just simply called it off the monitor. Um, yeah, probably got more publicity than it deserved. Really, it wasn't that big a deal. But um, yeah, no, I enjoyed it actually to get behind the mic once again. That's unbelievable. Well, well done. And uh, to just end on a bit of a uh, bit of a sad note, a, a close friend of yours, Belinda Price, um, mm-hmm. is doing it a bit tough at the moment. And, and you did a really wonderful interview just recently. Um, you know, tell us about your relationship with Belinda and, and how she's going. Yeah. So Belinda um, married to uh, Simon Price, who was uh, one of the leading riders here in South Australia for many many years, and, and now um, two of their children. Uh, Will in Melbourne and, and Ben here in Adelaide are, are doing great things and forging their own careers in the saddle. So, um, and they've got a beautiful daughter, Abby, as well. But yeah, Belinda had the shock news um, only in recent months that um, she's battling pancreatic cancer. Um, so, I actually was driving home from the Gawler races on a Wednesday and I was just thinking about, you know, like it's tough enough for the family with what Belinda's going through but also for the boys that ride in a really tough game uh, Will and Ben and you know in the back of their minds are also you know dealing with the fact that their mum's really unwell um, so I actually said to Belinda I rang her the next day and said look I was wondering if you wanted to share your story and and um, you know she's much loved in the racing industry um, apart from you know with all of her friends as well and um, Belinda was only too happy to you know do the story with me so um, for racing.com we, we went along and we um, filmed a, a, yeah, an interview with uh, Belinda she had Abby with her as well her daughter and um, you know the story came up fantastic and we just yeah our thoughts and prayers are with Belinda and, and she um, you know fights the battle and um, yeah it was just more making people aware of what um, the boys are dealing with as well because it is a tough game I spoke about the fact you know as a caller, I hate it when you make a mistake and then people get into you, but, you know, and the same thing, there's plenty of grandstand jockeys out there and they feel like, you know, a jockey hasn't ridden the perfect race, you know, they're only too happy and the keyboard warriors who sit behind, um, you know, false identities and, and tap away and have a crack at, you know, jockeys or trotting drivers or whatever, um, it can be pretty cruel and, um, yeah, I just thought it was nice to let maybe the general public know exactly what else is going on in the lives of these fine two young men. No, well said and well done. And um, actually, a bit ago, before we, uh, before we let you go, Tez, I'm involved with the um, Mount Barker Courier as a journalist up there, and one of the big topics is, as a moment, at the moment, well, not just uh, up there in the hills, but around South Australia and around the, the racing fraternity, is, of course, the Oak races next year and with the jumps being removed. And um, obviously, it's... There's a lot of people that um, are not happy about it and tourism in the hills is obviously going to get affected by it as well and you know, people from the, the accommodation side of things in the hills are very disappointed by the, the situation. What's your take on it and could, could we see it being overturned? Or? Oh, I'd be very surprised. Racing SA have been strong in their opinion that um, jumps racing is done in this state. Um, jumps racing has been dying in this state for a long, long time. Um, I've got to say, you asked me about my favourite memories as a broadcaster, and I mentioned the great Mayor Black Caviar, but my favourite meeting to work at was always Oakbank as a broadcaster. Um, you know, I went along there as a, as a young fellow and watched the races, um, and then, you know, I was fortunate enough to start working there. Um, well, once upon a time, there were two callers at Oakbank um, because they go behind 
the hill and the, the main broadcast position, you know, can't see the callers for probably three or 400 metres, so they would switch to the caller on the hill, and that's where my broadcasting journey began at Oak Bank, and then eventually I, I took up the prime position as the main broadcaster. But, you know, I saw the crowds, you know, start to fall away dramatically. Once upon a time, they were, you know, around 40,000 on the Saturday and even bigger on the Monday. Um, the Monday crowd has, has really diminished and, and, and the Saturday likewise with it. But not only that, um, the field sizes have fallen away as well. The last five Great Easterns, the signature race there at Oak Bank, there's been four fields of five and one field of seven. And, and in those fields, two horses ran in all five. So um, we only really have, I'll give you a great example. This year, there were 12 jumps races run in South Australia for a total of 65 runners in those 12 races. Three South Australian stables were represented. Grant Young and Barry Brook had the bulk of them. One other trainer had one runner. There is no jumps rider here in South Australia. So effectively, you know, it's an industry which is basically being put on for really the Victorians to come across and, and pinch our money. But uh, And look, I'm sad by it because I loved jumps racing. I loved broadcasting. I've got some incredible memories working there. But um, most of the... Um, the noise, I can hear it um, from locals that are heavily involved in the game. I touched on Grant Young and Barry Brook and some of the greats, Francis Nelson, John Blacks, but most of the noise is coming from across the border from Victoria, where they are the lone jumping state in this country. We don't have jumping races in New South Wales, Queensland, Western Australia. They did have it in Tasmania, that's gone by the wayside, and now Racing SA have made the decision to let it go here in SA. Oak Bank, um, I don't think it's the end for Oak Bank. I'm, I'm confident that um, they can re-energise the carnival and still make it great. But there's a bit to play out there because it it seems that um, there is going to be a special general meeting called and they're going to try and overturn the current committee and they're going to put in a committee that um, basically want jumps racing. But ultimately the decision is with Racing SA. Oak Bank may demand it, but Racing SA have to program it. And Racing SA... Uh, saying strongly that that's it they're not going to be programming jumps racing again in this state so um i, I still think I, I still believe oak bank can work um and it's up to um you know you've got to reinvent the wheel sometimes and that's what the uh, the committee need to do now and, and with that um oak bank can survive and the hills can flourish. Yeah, fingers crossed. I mean, we spoke about this off air before, you know, about the Balaclava Cup and Clare and all these other regional meets and, you know, they get great crowds there. So I don't see why they can't just, just because there's no jumps racing, why they can't still get big crowds. People go away and have a weekend up there for Easter. It's fantastic. Yeah. Up there, so Well, it hasn't happened yeah. yet. So people are saying that it's not going to happen. Well, you haven't given them the opportunity yet. Let's, yeah. let's see what happens yeah. in 2022 and let's see what the crowds are like and let's see what actually happens. Absolutely, because it could be it could be a lot of people that didn't want to go along to Obey because they were against the because of the cruelty to animals, so to speak, and they might, they might get more people going along. So. Well, Bevo, it, it's a big thing that um, you know we've had to deal with. You know, the protesters are there every year. Every year there's jumps races wherever they're held. The, the, the protesters are there. Um, they're, they're perched around the track on ladders with cameras to take a, a picture of a horse falling and maybe unfortunately getting hurt and then it'll bob up on the news service that night with either channel 7 9 10 or channel 2 or all of them and is that the only way racing can get on the tv news from a story like that ridiculous yeah when there's yeah. so many great stories out there 100 percent 
Yeah, no, I couldn't agree with you more, mate. So, um, a good way to end on, on a positive, I think. So, hey, Terry McCall, thanks so much today for joining us, Legends of Bebo, mate. Um, uh, thanks to the Junction Hotel as well and to Matt Hill for the great job filming for us. Uh, we look forward to speaking in the future, Tez, and uh, look forward to big race, the race of Stops Nation on Tuesday. Yeah, good luck with whatever you're banking on Tuesday in the Melbourne Cup.